Get it in here. I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out. Okay? You can't roll the big dogs. Stay on the pause. Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis, osmosis. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in. A good Wednesday. How does that sound? Middle of the work week, proverbial hump day. Oh, yeah, and there is a National Football League game going on. I believe the first Wednesday afternoon game in the history of the NFL. Maybe barring if Christmas Day was on a Wednesday, but I really believe that it probably is the first because I don't remember the NFL putting games on Christmas Day if it's in the middle of the week. Wednesday's a, a day they don't usually like to mess with. But anyway. When you say history of it, I yeah. mean, it, it's possible Red Grange and the old Bears when they would play four games in seven days might have played on a Wednesday or something. But I don't know if that was officially the NFL because they were barnstorming against teams that weren't really organized. Yeah, so. think about that. I mean, a Wednesday afternoon game because the NFL has always been played on Sundays. And we know in December they will go to Saturday games. Three three games on December 26th, the I, day after Christmas. I know, I know, I know. And then Monday night we've got you know two games Monday and then another Tuesday game next week. So it's, it's all crazy. It's all over the place. But seriously, yeah, Wednesday afternoon game. Have to do some research on that. I, I don't believe that there probably ever has been one. And even if there was a Christmas Day game... On a, I don't think they would do it because they didn't used to do Christmas Day games. Well, they certainly unless do. it was on a Thursday or a Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, and they've really shied away from it since the NBA it has taken Christmas as kind of their day because they always play like their four games or six games or whatever it is they play. So, so, so they've kind of let the NBA take over Christmas and do the other stuff. So. Right, exactly. And the NBA just announced that they're going to have five games. You have the triple header, then they went quadruple header. Now it's going to be the. Uh, five games coming up on Christmas Day. So there you go. Which makes sense because if you have five games, you're hoping that three or four of them actually play. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, glad to have you with us on this Wednesday. We'll keep you updated. Yes, the Ravens and the Steelers are playing, and the game has just gone to halftime, and the Steelers lead the Ravens 12-7. to Kind of a very strange game as the Steelers really have dominated from a statistical standpoint, marching up and down the field. But uh, they went for it on fourth and goal inside the the three-yard line, and they got turned away. Then uh, Robert Griffin Jr., uh, or Robert Griffin III, I should say. Uh, RG3. RG3, there you go. That's fine, too. Uh, took over and immediately threw a pick six. So Steelers got in the end zone. But then the, uh, Chris Boswell missed the extra point, so it was 6 nothing. And then, lo and behold, they the Steelers' defense hold Baltimore uh, – Again, then they punt, and then the Steelers, Ray-Ray McLeod, coughed it up inside the 20, and that gave Baltimore some life, and they scored a touchdown, went ahead 7-6. to six. Steelers were marching right down the field again, but only could get a field goal from Boswell, like a 25-yarder, 9-7. Same thing happened again, uh, holding Baltimore on defense, the Steelers were, and then uh, they get the ball back, drove like 73 yards, get stalled inside their 10-yard line, have to settle for another field goal, to make it 12-7. Then Baltimore was driving down the field, and they had the ball uh, inside the, the Steeler 10-yard line, 
and they get turned away, and next thing you know, we're at halftime. And got no points out of it? Yeah, no points out of it. So it's 12-7 halftime, and the Steelers will receive the second half kickoff. Very crazy game, but then again, a very crazy day for us to have a game, a matinee in Steel City in front of no fans whatsoever, halftime 12-7 Steelers over the Ravens, and the Ravens may be showing a pretty good account of themselves despite missing all these players with COVID. And, and you mentioned the crazy start to it, too. I'm sure I wasn't the only one there. When Pittsburgh did throw that interception and, and gave him right off the bat, I'm looking at it going, why are you running that out of the end zone? Yeah. You, you take a knee, you get it at the 20, you now have pinned your team back. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I, I understand it's maybe and, – and I'm thinking to myself – is this because he thought that there was an opening and they could make a really big play? Or is it because he thought, with the offense we have on this team, I better go out there and try to make something happen even though I'm in the end zone? Yeah. Crazy. Don't know. And, again, play calling when you, when you get in the red zone. And then I'm not going to blame Tomlin too much. Again, Boswell missing the extra point. Then he's hitting a 25-27 yarders later. But, uh, again, a lot of drop passes uh, in the end zone by the goal line. Uh, Steelers were looking sharp basically from the 20 to the 20, but then once they got in the red zone so far today, uh, just uh, play-calling mistakes, uh, not really, really sharp. But how can you expect anybody to be sharp when you expected to play this game last Thursday, gets postponed to Sunday, then postponed again to Tuesday, and now you're playing Wednesday and you literally, if you're the Ravens, you've had one practice. That was yesterday, pretty much a walkthrough. The Steelers have been practicing. They've been at home. So you expect them to be sharp. They're not, and they're only up 12-7. Well, yeah, they're only up 12-7. And like you said, if it was a normal week when you had that many days off, it's almost like they got a bye week yeah. in time. But from the mental structure of it, of trying to get up for a game day for the fourth time now, like you said, Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday. Now, Oh, now we're finally going to play – yeah, you don't know. And then I'm sure that today the first thing they were thinking was, okay, well, we got the game today, and let's hope nobody else hits the COVID list before the game today and has to miss because I know Pouncey was a yes. late scratch. Yeah, yeah. He got notified a few hours before kickoff today. Marquise Pouncey, their center, so they're having to go with the backup there. And that affects And center is a more important position oh. than a lot of people really think about. Especially the chemistry that Pouncey and Roethlisberger have together as well, too. So, anyway. All right, speaking of centers, uh, we're going to start the program off today with our good friend Trevor Maddich, the former center, the former guard, the former tackle, former tight end. I think he's played just about every uh, position on the offensive line. Yes, he's gone down in history for that. Not only that, but does a great job with ESPN, college football. You can catch him on uh, Sports Center. I believe the, uh, the three p.m. Eastern edition where he's actually making his picks. Uh, great friend, great friend of the program. As you know, you get a chance to hear him here, hear him here all the time. And uh, we're going to talk a little college football with Trevor right here, right now. Let's kick it off with my man, the pride of BYU. What's going on, my friend? Mr. TC, I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I, uh, hopefully that introduction uh, suited you well. I think I got every offensive position you played. I don't know. Did you ever? Were you ever a holder? You could have been a holder sometime, too. No, but uh, maybe my snaps at the end of my career were slow enough that I could have gotten back out there. But uh, but no, I don't believe I ever was a holder. You, you basically said he went from center to sports center. That's it. Exactly. Hey, how about that? Look at this. Oh, now. Yeah. That's why you get the big bucks. That's it. We're, we're on fire today, brother. All right. Good deal. Speaking of sports center, like I said, you can catch Trevor on Fridays. Uh, college football picks, he... he enlightened us last week that he's 15 and three making his college football picks 
Uh, here's the big question, Trevor. Are you going to pick Boise State 27 over UNLV on Friday? We're going to be at that game, my friend. Can you squeeze that one into the broadcast on Friday? I will try to tell them. I don't get to pick which ones I do. They tell me, so I'm not cherry-picking the easy games. I, they say, here, pick these three. I'm like, oh, okay, who are they playing, right? Oh. And so there we go. But uh, UNLV, off the top of my head, I would say no clue. How's UNLV doing? Oh, gee, come on. Are you kidding me? Uh, Tre- yeah. Trevor, they, have not, they've, they haven't won a game. They've been non-competitive in Marcus Arroyo's first season here. I don't, we don't know what's worse at this point in time, the football team or the basketball team, because combined they're both winless at 0-8. Uh, Boise State's coming in here, just so you know, a 27-point favorite. Okay, here's what they need to do. If the basketball team and the football team are both winless at 0-8, yeah. they need to switch. They have the football team play basketball and the basketball team play football for a week. Right? Yeah. And let's see how that goes. Who knows? It can't be worse, right? That might be fun. That sounds like camp counselor uh, Trevor Maddich there. Yeah, but by the way, they I... would do a 30 for 30. <laughs> you know, it, you'd be famous for, you know, that'd be great. When I saw that 27 point line, the first thing I thought of was Trevor, and I thought to myself, what would it be if it was BYU instead of Boise after what BYU did to Boise? This is true. That is true. Well, yeah, this is true. Well, you know what, though? Boise is just mean. They're just mean. BYU will get up by about 70, and then, then they call off the dogs in the second quarter, you know. But uh, Boise, who knows what they would do. Boise. I'm sorry. Too soon? Yeah, that's, that's, quite, that's, that's, that's quite okay. That's okay. All <laughs> right. Um, listen, man, most of the time when I talk about BYU, I do not have my royal blue hat on, yeah. and I try to make it so that people can't tell where I went to school. <laughs> so that was just a little uh, moment of uh, momentary lapse. No problemo. All right, he is Trevor Maddich, ESPN, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. Uh, grateful to have him with us, as always, here. Let's talk about Ohio State. Uh, the latest news on this is that they are going to play a game against Michigan State this week. Head coach Ryan Day will not coach. But, of course, there is still concerns that this game could be canceled. But now, Trevor, we're hearing out of Ann Arbor, the big rival, that possibly Michigan may not play, I guess, what, this week, right? They're playing Maryland. I guess they're still on the board, though. But then next week, uh, the big rivalry game against Ohio State, there is talk that they may not play. I don't know if that's because of COVID issues or Harbaugh and company are trying to mess Ohio State over because, as we know, the Big Ten has these crazy rules. I don't know if it's crazy or not, but if a team doesn't play at least, what, six games, they can't be considered for the conference championship, which would be ludicrous because we know Ohio State is clear-cut the top team in the Big Ten. Obviously, that would affect them playing in the playoff as well, too. But, uh, yes, so Michigan has canceled their game against Maryland for this week. Why they were a five-point favorite, I have no idea as well. So there's a lot to unpack there. I am just going to hand the ball off to Trevor Maddich. You can go run around the right end, plow up the middle, do what you got to do, my friend, because we're all ears. Well, a couple things. There's a lot to unpack there, TC. Let's start with just sort of the vanilla stuff, right? And that is that Michigan canceled the Maryland game, uh, so it's officially canceled as far as I can tell. They've halted all football activities. So there is a very good chance that the Ohio State game will not happen. The uh, reason is that, well, depending upon who is in the protocol, how many are in the protocol, and the reason that the the game was canceled from a Michigan standpoint. Um, The the thing about Michigan is that they've been really good with 
COVID for a while. But the thing is, the the whole dam just burst on them. I'm ch- I'm checking something real quick here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So the question will be uh, whether or not Michigan has too many guys in the protocol. Remember that the Big Ten has a 21-day uh, period that you must sit out if you are in the COVID protocol. 21 days. Well, that's going to blow right past the Ohio State game next week. And so if the question is why the Maryland game, why was it put in jeopardy? Now, that's the vanilla side. The fun side is the conspiracy theory. And this has been floating around out there. That theory goes like this. The Big Ten does have a minimum threshold of games that you must play in order to be eligible for the Big Ten championship game. And if the average of the league is around eight, then you've got to play at least six. But as that drops, that minimum threshold will drop as well. Ohio State right now could have a maximum of six heading into championship weekend. That means that if they lose another game, they could potentially not be eligible to play in the Big Ten championship game. The conspiracy theory is that Michigan might just <clears throat> come down with a whole bunch of <clears throat> COVID and have to cancel that game because they can't keep Ohio State out of the Big Ten championship or the playoff without or by beating them. They're not going to beat them. Maybe they can keep them out by keeping them from having enough games. That is what the conspiracy theory says. Now, I don't think that would happen. I think if Michigan does have to cancel the Ohio State game as well, it will be for legitimate reasons because I just don't think any bone in Jim Harbaugh's body suggests to him that he should do something like that and teach his players that they need to harm somebody else at our own expense because we want to go play. He wouldn't do that. So the conspiracy theory is fun. Talk about it. Have fun. You know, over wings and brews, whatever you want to do. Enjoy talking about the Michigan conspiracy theory, but don't worry about it. The other thing is that Ohio State is going to be just fine. I mean, if they get in one of their next two games, they'll play again on championship weekend, even if they don't play in the championship game. So they should have enough games in that the, that the committee will have enough data points to know if they want to put them at number four. Remember that we're only talking about eligibility for the Big Ten championship game, not for the college football playoff. You mentioned that Jim Harbaugh doesn't have a bone that would want to do that, but could the administration maybe do that? We heard that uh, when Clemson and Florida State was canceled that there was talk that it was the AD and the other administration that didn't want to be embarrassed about that kind of stuff. And is it really any big surprise that a team that plays in the big house is using COVID as an excuse? Well, you're right about the There was a big brouhaha in the ACC where Florida State canceled the game when Clemson had already arrived in Tallahassee to get ready for it, they said it was because there was one Clemson player who had taken a test, got on the plane, flew with his teammates to Tallahassee, and then when they got off the plane, the test came back positive. So Florida State said, no, we're not playing, too big of a risk. And Dabble Sweeney, the head coach of Clemson, pitched a royal fit. I mean, he blamed them for ducking them, for making them waste $300,000 in travel expenses, and it was a big fit that Dabo didn't have to pitch. I mean, he could have just said, okay, we wanted to play. We were ready. Let's move on. But he made a statement, right? Well, all of a sudden, if Michigan cancels this Ohio State game, it will never be anything other than to Ohio State fans that Michigan intentionally ducked the game to, to cost Ohio State a chance at a Big Ten championship. Now, I don't believe that would happen. Knowing what I know about Harbaugh, he would fight tooth and nail, and he would be so loud in opposing that that anybody in the administration who might want to do it 
would think twice about it and would only do it if they absolutely had to. And with this conspiracy theory, I think a lot of people can take this seriously because Michigan is having the worst season that that we've seen in in recent years. Harbaugh obviously is on the chopping block. Uh, who knows if he wants to stay at Michigan? He wants to go back to the NFL if anybody will have him. But this is just an embarrassing season for Michigan. And yeah, I, I could buy this where. Whether it's administration, coaching, whatever, you know the players would, would like to play, even though we know that they would get embarrassed like they normally do against Ohio State. I mean, it's just been a, such a one-sided rivalry as of late. It's, I think, that you know, as crazy as it sounds that we think, okay, Trevor, universities of this magnitude would never go so low to this point to say, hey, basically we're not going to play a game because of the sportsmanship factor and everything else, but... If there was ever a year for this, this could be it because Michigan is that bad and will get run out of whatever house they play in. Yeah, I think Michigan right now is in a similar place that Florida State is. Not quite as bad, but that no matter what happens going forward, they can't get any worse in the eyes of the recruits. I don't think Michigan really has a leg to stand on from a standpoint of being a championship, close to being a championship-level program right now. They're, they're going to tell recruits that, they're not far away. We just need you, Mr. Recruit, right? Florida State's a little bit different. Florida State isn't really a rebuilding project. It's more of an expansion team. Just start from scratch there. Either way, Ohio State is that much better than Michigan, whether you put them on the field to prove it or not, and the recruits know it. And so that, that I think, is something that's a bit of a moot point. They would avoid the abject humiliation of that. But keep this in mind. Jim Harbaugh does take seriously his role as a mentor to those players. And I can't imagine any scenario that he would say to them or have to justify to them, hey, guys, we love you, but we hate Ohio State more. I know you seniors want one more chance at Ohio State to have the experience, but we're going to take it away from you because we hate them. Right? I I just don't see that happening. As an Ohio State fan, I hope that they keep Harbaugh there forever, personally. But let's say that Jim Harbaugh does finally get chopped and he loses his job there. Who do they get? And is Michigan still as big of a a coup for a coaching uh, position as it used to be? Yeah, I think it is. I think Michigan still has the juice to build up and to get back to where it was. It'll pay top dollar. Uh, it's in a premier conference with lots of money rolling around with the Big Ten Network. I think so. Uh, but the kind of coach they need is a developmental coach. They're going to need a coach that can identify those three-star athletes that are um, guys that love the weight room, love practice, love meetings. They don't just love football for what it brings to them, but they love the actual activities, the grind of football. And then coach those guys up into be good college football players, win a few more games, get a little bit better class of recruit. That's what they need to do. That's the kind of coach that they need. I think Luke Fickle of Cincinnati, his name has come up a lot. I just don't see any way that Fickle would go to Michigan. I just can't imagine it because, you know, he's an Ohio State guy. And it has happened before. Bo Schembechler was an Ohio guy who went up to Michigan to be, you know, their most famous head coach. My own experience at BYU, Kyle Whittingham was a teammate of mine at BYU, and now he's the head coach, longtime head coach at Utah. And I, I respect what he's done there, but I'm still steamed that uh, he's wearing red. But Fickle would have to go up to Ann Arbor and begin to refer to Ohio State as that school down south. And if he started doing that, Urban Meyer would physically beat him up with his fists. Right. It would happen. So, you know, if, if Fickle goes up there, it would be a, a minor earthquake. Trevor Madge joins us, ESPN. 
Trevor, let's uh, talk about some of these games for this weekend. And you brought up Cincinnati. They're number seven in the country. Their game against Tulsa got postponed. How does this hurt their playoff chances? And if Ohio State does slide out of this picture here, is Cincinnati legitimate? They are, but I don't think Cincinnati's schedule will have anything to do with it. They could schedule the Green Bay Packers, and I don't think it would really matter. Because for them to get into the playoff, they have to win out, no doubt. But then they have to have a bunch of stuff happen in front of them. Basically, Alabama would have to beat Florida, so Florida isn't in there uh, with Alabama together. Notre Dame would have to beat Clemson, because if Clemson beats Notre Dame, the two of them will probably be in, not Cincinnati. Uh, And then Texas A&M would probably have to lose. So no matter who Cincinnati plays on their schedule, those things have to happen anyway. Let's, you mentioned Florida. Let's talk about Florida and the SEC. They're playing Tennessee this week. Tennessee ha- hasn't won a game uh, in months. Uh, what do you make of this Florida team? Because obviously Trask is a, is a very good quarterback. We see they've got offensive weapons. They basically are winning track meet style. But the defense you know, really has shown lapses in games against opponents that they really should throttle pretty handily. What do you make of this Florida team? Florida is a one-legged stool, but it's quite a, quite, a, quite a leg because you're right about the defense. It's, it's hot and cold uh, and mostly tepid in between. The running game will show up once in a while, but it'll get stuffed cold once in a while. But that passing attack is good enough to win the national championship, and that just might be good enough this year just because of the way college football has evolved. Nick Saban said that great defense no longer beats great offense. You need that explosive downfield quick strike, high scoring offense. And Florida has that with the passing game alone because they have too many weapons for really anybody in college football to cover effectively. And Trask is just playing all that well. So Florida is a threat, but their path to the college football playoff is set in stone as well. They have to win to the SEC championship game and then they have to beat Alabama. Could they? It's possible, but if they do, then Kyle Trask will win the Heisman Trophy on that day. Okay, what are you doing there? Are, are, are you doing your chores? Uh, Dana got you doing chores over there. What are you doing? You're out of breath. You're running around the place over there. What's going on? I know you're not. I know, I'm, I'm carrying stuff to the car, and you're right. It's Dana, my lovely wife, <laughs> uh, who, by the way, has a, a, a wall-sized bureau hanging at a hotel on the Las Vegas Strip right now in the style of Michelangelo. She's a great artist. Whoa, uh, that's right. This is true. She, she, has got me, she has got me doing some stuff, and we had to leave right at 20 after the hour. So I told her that, okay, uh, I would uh, have to get up and go to the car when we got to that point. So we can continue as long as you want, but I'll be driving. There it is. All right, take a deep breath, my friend, and drive safe. Ooh, I had to carry like I had to carry 150 pounds of uh, sandbags to the car. See, I knew it. I, I knew something was going yeah. on there. There you go. Trevor yeah, Manage, the, the, the great husband that he is there. The, the, yes. Absolutely multitasking to the 10th degree or something like that. So <laughs> you've, you've, We talked about a lot of teams. Uh, and trying to get into that championship series. Is there a dark horse that you think does have a chance, uh, assuming that all sorts of craziness happens in conference championships and that kind of stuff? I know we thought you at know, one think, point maybe it would be BYU, but they just haven't – they didn't get nearly enough love. No, the problem with, with the thing about BYU is that the committee is not taking into account the issue with COVID and how it's wreaked havoc on everybody's schedule. They are still looking at – What's your strength of schedule? Who'd you beat? Who'd you lose to? All that stuff. Now, in some ways, though, that's inconsistent because BYU at 13 right now and Cincinnati at 7. Well, Cincinnati 
hasn't beaten a, a team that's currently ranked or a Power 5 opponent either. And yet when they talk about Cincinnati, they're talking about how good they are. When they're talking about BYU, they're talking about their schedule. So I'm not sure what's going on with that. But because of the schedule and the way the committee is, is viewing the schedule in terms of relative strength compared to what they see on tape, I think that BYU's chance is out. When you talk about a dark horse, absent alien abduction, the most likely dark horse is going to be Texas A&M, but they're sitting there at number five. They're sitting there at number five. So it's not really a dark horse, but here's all they need. They need to continue to win, and they need for Alabama to be Florida, and they need for Notre Dame to be Clemson. The first one is very possible. The second one is possible, but, but less possible for Notre Dame to be Clemson. But for those things to happen, if those, if those things happen, A&M will be the next team in. The reason is that Florida is number six right behind A&M right now. And if Florida loses to Alabama, they're no threat to jump A&M. And behind them at seven, you've got um, Florida, or excuse me, Cincinnati. And if A&M wins, Cincinnati will, not, will never jump them. But, by the way, uh, my, my wife, Dana, just jumped in. Say hi to Las Vegas, Dana. <laughs> hey, Vegas. There it is, Dana Dane. There she is. Good job. Hi. There she is. Hi, guys. There it yeah. is. From Las Vegas to Las Vegas. <laughs> Trevor, we'll give you a couple more things, and then we'll let you uh, go. Uh, you mentioned okay. Alabama, you know, and uh, Alabama's a 29-point favorite against LSU this week. But I want to touch on LSU, and we've talked about them before. Is this just a one-off situation for, for LSU and Ed Algeron, or are there deeper problems in Bayou Bengal country? I think there are deeper problems. I think LSU fans kind of had a veil pulled across the past when the Joe Burrow National Championship happened last year. And, you know, that was a magical season. Yay, good for them. But it was an absolute spike. It had nothing to do with what really they can do or what they had been doing, let's put it that way, um, in the past. And biggest reason for that is quarterback. Up until Burrow, they have really struggled to put a quarterback on the field that could maximize their wide receivers, going all the way back maybe to Jamarcus Russell. I mean, it's been a long time since they've had a national championship-worthy quarterback. They've had the, it's like hey, you have the car, but you don't have a steering wheel on it. So you can go 220 miles an hour on the Indy 500, but you can't steer it very well, right? And so that's been their problem, and it appears to remain their problem now, or at least part of it. Now, the thing about LSU is that uh, they will have one more year, I think, with Coach O. I think if they have another difficult year next year, they may decide to move on. I hope they don't. I think Coach O is perfect for that program. As a matter of fact, a local um, reporter said something fantastic. He said, finally, we have a coach in Coach Orgeron that doesn't have an accent, which is really hilarious uh, because the, the, the local people down there, he doesn't have an accent, just to everybody else. But it's the quarterback position that has really held them back. And right now, I don't see for the foreseeable future that changing. You know, before we leave the, the college game here, and uh, Frank and I are going to touch on this a- after the break, after we let you go, about the Vanderbilt uh, situation there with Sarah Fuller, their kicker. And uh, it's been quite a story. But what I wanted to, to touch on real quick here, you know, she came out and, and we're calling out uh, her teammates for their, you know, lack of cheering and uh, their performance and their 41 nothing shutout loss to uh, Missouri last week. Uh, let me tell you, or ask you, how many times have you had a kicker uh, in your locker rooms that you've been in uh, call out players? How, how would that go over for a kicker to call out any players? Wait a minute. I did not hear this. 
Oh, okay. She called out teammates for lack of effort after that after that game. Yeah, actually at halftime, and uh, like I said, I was going to go into this a little bit later, but while I, I really want to get your take, I'll just go ahead and read you the quote here. So in this interview that she did with ESPN uh, a couple days ago, she says, if I'm going to be honest, I was a little pissed off at how quiet everyone was on the sideline. We made a first down, and I was the only one cheering, and I was like, what the heck? What's going on? And I tried to get them pumped up. And I was like, you guys need to start cheering your team on. During the SEC tournament, she's talking about the soccer tournament, the women's tournament, which she was involved in where they won. She goes, my entire team was cheering our team on, whether it's in the locker room or the sidelines. She goes, that's what won it for us. She goes, I went in at halftime to our game on Saturday and said, Guys, we need to be cheering each other on. This is how you win games. That's how you get better, by calling each other out and stuff. So I'm going to call you guys out. That was the quote. Give me your thoughts. Well, I have two thoughts. The first one is she's a national champion, and she knows what it takes to win. She knows what it takes for a team to come together. And I respect that. I respect it tremendously. Uh, I get it that Vanderbilt, has lost a lot of that mojo because I think they're, they've won three games in the last two years. They're winless this year for the first time in the history of their program. They've been playing football for about 120 years. If they finish winless this year, and they got Georgia this week, for are going to say, uh, then it will be the first time ever in over a century that they've gone winless in a season. And that's the opposite attitude that, that Sarah Fuller has. So I respect that tremendously. Uh, I would suggest this, that as a, as a football player, no matter what my issues are on the field, I wouldn't want a, a teammate to come in and in their first game, no matter who that teammate is of any gender, and call me out forever. I, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. Um, now, it may be right, and maybe I wouldn't be comfortable because they're, they're correct about that, although with me personally – it's never been correct. I've always given 100% effort, even when I haven't been successful on the scoreboard. But I think sometimes it's good to be a little bit careful uh, about when you do stuff and how you do it. So I'm not saying she's necessarily wrong. What I am saying is that uh, she went all in. And coming back out again, the Vanderbilt football team needs an attitude that mirrors the attitude of the Vanderbilt women's soccer team. Because those ladies know how to win. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that she went and did there. I've got to say this. If, I were, uh, if, I'm, the, if I'm the new head coach, no matter what happens for the rest of this year with her, she goes in and makes five field goals or whatever, I want her to come back and talk to the team in training camp next year. I really want her to do that because they need to know what she knows about winning. There you go. All right. He is Trevor Maddich. Trevor, uh, I want to leave you with this or leave our, our listeners with this. You do a lot of work with the Washington Redskins, and I want your take on the NFC East real quick. And if I'm looking at this, this thing, we know it's a mess, but I'm thinking that your former team is the best team in that division. Give me a quick take on what Ron Rivera is doing, and do you think Washington could end up winning this division and going to the playoffs? Yeah, they could. Dallas Dallas is a hot mess. Philly is all of a sudden a hot mess. There's a lot of discord there. The Giants opened up, I think, 0-6, something like that. And all of a sudden, they're in first place by virtue of the fact that they swept Washington. They, they beat, they're they 2-0 against Washington this year in division play. And so the Giants just may well 
end up winning this division after starting 0-6. That, that's just crazy stuff. I think Washington is a better team right now, but unfortunately they dug themselves a huge hole in the first half of both games against the Giants and then came back in a furious comeback in the second half, but it wasn't quite enough. They're better now, but that water's under the bridge as it goes, as it goes to the Giants. So right now if I had to pick a team to win it, I think the Giants are in best shape because of their tiebreaker. Hey, just real quick, too, when it comes to Washington, there's talk now that they're just going to continue to be the Washington football team and not pick a name for the club. Do you think that's a possibility, and do you think that's a good idea? Well, I think it's a definite possibility. I, they should not pick a team unless it has overwhelming support from the fans because they can't switch it again. This is it. For the next 50 years, this is the, this is the name. So they don't need to be putting a, a logo on that helmet because it's time to do it. It needs to be only when the fans are clamoring for it and there's overwhelming consensus for what it is. Now, there are some old-school Washington fans that would like to see a couple of years go by as the Washington football team and then maybe bring back the original moniker. Now, I kind of don't think that's going to happen at this point, but I know that there are some fans that are really in this Absent that, I think that they'll keep going with the football team until there's an absolute positive purpose to make a change. All right, Trevor, appreciate the time. Dana, thank you very much for letting uh, your man uh, talk with us while you are running them ragged, doing the chores. And I'm just kidding with that, of course. But uh, you guys have a great time, and and we appreciate it. And Again, since Dana's got all this great artwork up here on the Strip, there is a trip in your future here to Vegas. Let's go. Let's get cracking. Come on. Invited. We're there. We're there. And by the way, she was the co-host of her own radio show in Nashville for five years, so we got to have us both on together at some point when we get out there. Uh, that's a done deal. We're going to have you at the Cosmopolitan on a Friday. We've been talking about this for over a year. Let's go. Let's get it cracking here. Love it. Okay. We're there. We'll make it happen. There it is. Yeah, so she paints the pictures that everybody wants to look at, and Trevor paints the picture of what's going on in football. <laughs> look at you. There he is. Know, we, we, we work well that way. There you go. They do. <laughs> All right, guys. Be safe. Take care. Appreciate you. you. All right, Trevor, take care, brother. There he is. Okay, bye. Rise and shout. BYU. They're undefeated. They're probably going to be 10-0, and and they're going to be left at the altar at the doorstep. You know, with the first ranking that they, came they out. They won't even let them on the doorstep. They're, 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 they're outside the fence. They won't even 14. let them on the property. 14. And 14, are they the 14th best team in the country? Probably better than that. But, yeah, they're not going to get any love. No, they get none. Yeah. We talked about the East Coast bias with basketball and that. Man, in football, forget about it. I know. All right, appreciate Trevor Maddox. You can catch him on ESPN Sports Center. always breaking down great college football analysts and a 15-time Emmy Award winner for all the work that he's done, not just with ESPN, but uh, NBC Sports Washington and uh, the various uh, outlets that he has been involved with. All right, so appreciate him joining us today, talking a little college football. All right, when we come back, Frank and I will dive a little bit more into the Sarah Fuller situation at Vanderbilt as well, too. We'll give you our thoughts on that. You can uh, jump in as well, too, if you want to join the party, 702-221-7283. Again, 
221-7283, the phone number, open phone lines here outside of the Vegas area. Of course, the area code is 702. Coming up next hour, my man, marvelous Mark Ratner is going to join us. Of course, you know Mark Ratner, the former executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission and also been the vice president of regulatory affairs with the UFC. Uh, Just got announced yesterday that he will be going in the UFC Hall of Fame. So we're going to have the marvelous one one, uh, on with us a little bit later on. And again, very involved in this community from UNLV to uh, the Raiders and everything else he does. So always love having him on the program. So we'll touch base with him a little bit later on as well, too. Tell you about what we got cooking the rest of the week, and we'll get you updated on what is happening in the Wednesday afternoon NFL game the much-anticipated Steelers-Ravens game. They're in the third quarter. We'll give you an update when we come back. Now, back to more of Las Vegas' favorite sports madman, the Dr. T.C. Martin. Don't forget, get signed up with the William Hill mobile app. So easy to do as well, too. So make sure you do that. And get some free money. How do you do that? Real simple. We've got a promo code regarding the show here. It's TC50. So if you go open a William Hill account at any of the William Hill locations, and they are all over the valley here. They're inside the PT's pubs, different uh, casinos, the sports books, and, of course, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, now a William Hill sports book. So come on by and join us on Friday and get signed up. $50. You deposit at least $50. They'll match it with another $50, but you have to use the promo code TC50 when you get signed up. So first, download the app. Go make your deposit at one of the William Hill Sportsbooks, and you'll be good to go. TC50, the promo code. Get a free $50 in play at the very easy-to-use William Hill Sportsbook mobile app. All right. So, appreciate Trevor Maddox joining us talking a little college football. So I brought that up, uh, Frank, with the Sarah Fuller situation, and we talked about it yesterday with the Terrible Tuesday. So what we talked about with Terrible Tuesday was how she got on the team as a soccer goalkeeper, an SEC-winning championship uh, goalkeeper, and at the time Derek Mason was the coach who since has been fired because of the horrendous start by the Vanderbilt team winless uh, at this point now at 0-8. So he he brings her on the team, and now we find out that she is the only kicker that's that's on the roster. She did not attempt a PAT because they didn't score, did not attempt a field goal because they never got in position because they just got railroaded against – uh, Missouri, 41 to nothing in that game. She did get a chance to kick off the second half and did a squib kick that I think went about 25, 30 yards. And for that, we talked about yesterday that because she was the SEC Player of the Week, you were saying that she was the Special Teams Player of the yeah, Week. Co-Special Teams yeah, Player the, the of the co- Week. Yeah, there you go. With the punt returner from, right. Georgia, from Florida. Right, right. So then we find out that she is going to be now on the travel squad. She's going to finish out the season here. So couple things to to talk about and then we just brought it up to Trevor and we'll get this thought but before I get into what she said to her team her being on the team don't have a problem with I think maybe how she got on it because there are a lot of people that or a lot of athletes that try to walk on to teams and they're a lot of times six seven kickers or specialty team players the only way they will have an opportunity to make 
a f- college football team is to be on special teams. And to see that this was kind of gifted to her, where they brought her, you know, from the soccer uh, team over there to give this position. I don't know. There, there's just a, a lot of questions that, that I have here. And now this thing is being glorified. And this is what the media does. They'll glorify this, these type of situations. She's being the first female uh, player to play college football in a Power 5 conference. And I, I'm not sure that this should be as glorified as it has been. And then giving someone a player of the week just because she is a woman. And let's be face it, that is the reason why that they gave her this award. Because she's a woman. She didn't do anything. She didn't kick an extra point. She didn't kick a 30-yard field goal. Certainly didn't kick a 45- or a 50-yard field goal. She had one kickoff that was a squib kick. So not setting right when you're talking about is it fair to these other uh, athletes at other schools or other people that are trying to make these teams, and and she basically has been gifted a position on this team. No, I agree with you. And and there's a lot to unpack with all the stuff you said there. Um, First off, just to go over how she get, did get on the team, they took her and two other goaltenders from the articles that I've read about it and that, and they basically put them in a gym with a soccer ball and asked them to kick at a target uh, from like 15 yards, then 20. They kept on moving it back. Well, she was the most accurate and had the best distance out there. So the first thing that popped in my mind there was just like, well, why were they only the goalkeepers? Now, we talked about how goalkeepers tend to have strong legs, but don't some of your top scorers in that also potentially have strikers. So why wouldn't you have brought in some strikers and somebody else to maybe also be in that competition? The kickoff that you mentioned, she's being applauded and they show it. Oh, she put it right where she wanted to. She basically kicked it where the other team was starting from where you would start at if you kicked the ball out of bounds on a kickoff. Right. It wasn't like it was a successful, wonderful kick. Like you mentioned, in the pregame warm-up, she wasn't even practicing extra points from where you kick extra points. It was from where you snap the ball where you would never, ever the kick three-yard from. line, exactly. So there's so many different things there, and I agree with you. Yeah, it's great that um, they're giving a woman an opportunity to do something. I don't know how she was gifted this, that she was the one that was chosen when it was only three that were invited to the tryout. You do have to wonder about the other guys that maybe did try to walk on as a kicker there. Does she really have the strongest leg out there, or is this the only way that Vanderbilt can get anybody talk about them in a positive way because their football program is so horrifically bad? And to give her the player of the week, I'm glad that at least they did make it co. Because if there wouldn't have been somebody else who actually did something positive as a football player that week, it would be a bigger travesty. But the other thing you mentioned, she's the first female kicker in a power five. There's been two other female kickers in college football. I believe one of them hit like three or four field goals in her her first couple games that she played or whatever like that. Hit the extra points that she attempted. She was a legitimate kicker. Sarah Fuller at this point, we don't even know if she is at all a legitimate kicker or not. And the thing about it is, and I don't know exactly who the other player was uh, that was the co-player in the SEC. It was a punt returner from Florida. Okay, punt returner. So I don't know what he did in that game, but he had to do something spectacular, maybe return a punt for a touchdown or garnish plenty of yardage. Feel sorry for that guy because he's sharing this award with her, and she did absolutely nothing kicking off the second half, which you have to do. 
that doesn't make you an award winner. So I feel sorry for that guy from Florida that he has to share this. You, you know who else I kind of feel sorry for when you put it in that perspective? I kind of feel sorry for every other kicker in the SEC. Yes. That actually kicked real field goals. Yes. That kicked extra points and actually kicked the ball out of the end zone like you're supposed to. Where you start at the 25, not the 35, which is where they started after her kickoff. She kicked it to the 35. That is not. We're such a participation trophy society today. It's great if she goes out there. I was talking with Numchuck before the show today when we were sitting out there, and I said, can you imagine if this week against Georgia, and I, and I, I do not hope this happens, but I said, can you imagine if she attempts a field goal and somebody comes flying in from the outside trying to block it and gets blocked into her or something like that and takes her out? They will want to kick that person out of football forever yeah. because if she's on the football field, she's a football player. Or what if she does a kickoff that they actually, that they actually return? What if somebody's running towards her and she's the one? Are you trusting her? Do you stiff arm her? Do you yeah. run her over? Does a big lineman block her out of the way or something like that? She's fair game. She should be, but yes. will she be in the public eye and in the media Or eye? is she going to try to take on a punt returner or a lineman and try to make a tackle? Is she going to do that? And again, if she does that, then I'll say give her player in a week. Of course, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is glorified. And now to say that now she's made the travel squad, that she's going to be with the team the, the last couple games. I, and I go back to this: Are you telling me they don't have anyone better than her at this position? There has to be, and I understand there were two other kickers on this roster that either left the program whether for COVID reasons or they, they j- just didn't want to play because Vanderbilt's program is a mess right now. And that's why she probably is the only kicker. But there has to, you know, why not? And we've seen, we see this happen all the time, almost weekly through universities throughout. They will go ahead. What about bringing the guys, the, the, the men's soccer team guys? Have them. That's where they normally go for kickers. They go there. But, they did they, but they didn't even do this? They can't. The men's soccer team was about well, true. It that's was true. taken out in 2006 because of Title IX. That's true. And there's some people that said that's that, crazy too. They said that Vanderbilt didn't necessarily have to do that because there were still enough scholarships, but that was one of the sports that was dropped because the football team takes so many men's scholarships that they had to make that up. So men's soccer, I believe it was 2006 when I looked it up, was dropped by Vanderbilt. So they don't have a men's soccer team okay. to to go from to to pull then somebody make off it of. fair competition because you know darn well there's intramural soccer going on there. There's there, probably intramural absolutely soccer. Absolutely there and is. And you can't tell me there's not another guy exactly. that's already on that team, whether he's a scholarship player or mm-hmm. not. We know that most guys, when you're playing football and that and you're on the field all the time, you, 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 kid, you, you goof around a little bit and you, and you practice some kicks and that kind of stuff. You or can't or tell guys that kicked in high school. Yeah, that's what Those I'm saying. Those guys on there, guarantee yeah, it. You, you, you can't tell me that there's not somebody there that can't kick it past the 35-yard line. And I don't know if she can or not. If that's really what they set up, first off, why? Unless you just wanted to make sure that there wasn't a return so you had that problem with maybe she has to make a tackle or something. But a kick to the 35, that is not something that is award-worthy. That is something that's more cringe-worthy. I'll tell you what, this ha- definitely has my interest now about watching this game against Georgia. You know, Georgia is like a 28-point favorite, 29, 30-point favorite in this game. And Georgia has one of the best defenses in the entire country. So how is she even going to be able to attempt a field goal? 
But I'm curious to see what happens there. I would love to see it. And again, it's probably going to be the same type of situation where she's going to kick off one time because Georgia's defense is 10 times better than Missouri's. But what if Georgia has a turnover inside the 20 or something like that and Vandy gets the ball and they do have a chance for a field goal? If you're Georgia, do you sell out and do everything in your power to try to block that field goal thinking she's going to be nervous, she probably won't get the right height and everything? That's another thing. As a soccer player, she's not used to trying to kick the ball high and over a crossbar on that. Soccer players don't do that. Now, as a goalie, a little bit more because she's trying to kick for distance a lot of times. But does she even know how to do the lift and everything else? I know they said that she's going to be she's working with the special teams coaches this entire week. Now she's going to have the week under her belt. The other thing, I did think it was interesting that Trevor said that he would want her to talk to the team next year because she does know how to win. I thought it was interesting, his take on that. And the fact that she won a championship, maybe you want that. But at the same time, I'm not sure. If you're in that locker room and you're already on a team that hasn't won a game and you're a scholarship player for Vandy and you already feel bad about it, what is your take when you're sitting in that locker room and you're basically being bitched out by somebody mm. who did get gifted this position, who can't even, as far as we know at this point, actually perform at that position? She kicked off to the 35, and she's yeah. telling you how you're heartless and yet that you, you, you're not doing what you're yeah. supposed to on the team because she's a glorified cheerleader on the sideline? And we'll get into that in a second, but I just want to make the mention. It was uh, Kadorius Tony, the yeah. wide receiver from Florida, returned a punt for a touchdown Yeah, in, in Florida's game last week against Kentucky. So there you go. I, right. I know I said his name yesterday, right. but I didn't have it exactly. in front of me right here today. All right, so anyway, I uh, just wanted to clarify that. So here's the other part of the story that really – is the terrible Tuesday part here carryover? All right, it's a so, wicked Wednesday. Wicked Wednesday. There you go. So she's upset at the lack of effort, the lack of uh, support in the cheering that is going on in the sideline. And again, you see it in baseball compared to softball. All right, and you see the cheering and the women are, are, are going crazy in baseball. You don't see that, and you see that with women's soccer compared to men's soccer in any of the sports. Just just the, the nature, the way it is. So again, to repeat the quote that she said in this interview with ESPN: "If I'm going to be honest, I was a little pissed off at how quiet everyone was on the sidelines." She's referring to her Vanderbilt teammates during this game Saturday, Vanderbilt and Missouri, which she participated in as the kicker. We made a first down, and I was the only one cheering. I was like, what the heck? What's going on? And I tried to get them pumped up, and I was like, you guys need to start cheering your team on. During the SEC tournament, my entire team was cheering the entire time. It didn't matter if we were in the locker room or if we were on the sidelines. That's what won, won it for us, and that was who we are. I went in there at halftime and said to everyone that we need to be cheering each other on. This is how you win games. That's how you get better, by calling each other out for stuff, and I'm going to call you guys out. Now, she went to the coach and said, hey, coach, can I say something at halftime? The coach says, yeah, go ahead. So how these guys took this, I have no idea. How they are taking that she was gifted this spot on the team is another thing. We know football is a tight fraternity here. And have a woman you know, come into your locker room, which – She's not dressing in that locker room. That's another story, too. Who knows? But how do you feel if you're a player if this girl who's been on the team since Tuesday as a kicker, and we all know, I mean, it's always the joke in the NFL locker room about uh, what the kicker. I mean, kickers, they don't even feel like kickers are really part of the team. But the bottom line is, how do you feel if you are on this team and you're having this girl call you out 
and say you're not cheering. I mean, hey, I'll say it. I mean, she's got some balls. <laughs> she, she does in that case too, but here's the other thing to me. Okay, so you asked for permission to speak to the team. You made this impassioned speech where you're telling everybody else that they're not fired up enough. And like you said, there is a difference. If you've gone to a college baseball game and then a, and then a college women's softball game, yep. the, the women are definitely more chatty. They're constantly talking. In it. We see it in the College World Series of yeah, Baseball part and, of it, and women's yeah. softball and everything like that. But then you give this impassioned speech and you go out and you get to make the statement to start the second half. You just gave the speech. Now you're going to show them why they need to cheer. And you squipped it to the 35-yard line? Seriously? That's If you make that speech, you better bury it in the well, back they told of the her to squib end zone. It. They, they told her. They go, hey, just go ahead and uh, – and I'm sure they told – because they didn't know how deep she could kick it off. So they said, hey, we don't want you to, to kick it to the 25 and give someone an opportunity right. to, to and, return and it. I understand so that, we're going to play it safe. So they told her, squib it down there. You know, if you can try to, you know, put it over on the right side, which she did, or if that was accident, who knows? But the bottom line is she legitimately kicked it about 27 yards. Yeah. I mean, basically what it came down to was I'll show no go. Right. Because you can't do a speech like that and call everybody out and then kick it to the 35. And even if they did tell you that, then you can't. It's a different thing. Maybe if she was a kicker in high school or something, and I haven't heard anything she was, if she's been around a men's football team before, maybe then she has the right to do that. But it's your first time ever on a football team, and you're calling out everybody else in that locker room, who, by the way, has been on the team the entire year. The juniors and seniors have been there for several years. Oh, yeah. They're going right now through the midst of the worst season they've ever had in the history of Vanderbilt football. <laughs> like, they don't feel bad enough already. And you're telling that that they're, they're that they're heartless and gutless, man. Again, I feel sorry for Florida's wide receiver Kadorius uh, Tony. See, I do and I don't because you know what? Fifty yard touchdown he had. But you know and what? Two returns. But you know what? If she wasn't Cole Special Teams Player of the Week, we wouldn't have heard that he did that either. Oh boy, unreal, unreal. All right. When we come back on the other side of the hour, marvelous Mark Ratner is going to join us. He's a Las Vegas legend. We'll talk to him. Nothing mediocre about him. You got that right. We got UNLV basketball to talk about. The Maui Invitational. We'll give you the Rebels' latest game last night. They're going to play again tonight. Oh, my goodness gracious. We'll Maui talk from North Carolina. Yeah. Asheville, North Carolina, the Maui Invitational. We'll get into that as well, too. And uh, we'll talk about UNLV football. Yes, they have a game Friday. They're finale at Allegiant Stadium for this season against Boise State. Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin, I'm Chuck with you right here on a wild Wednesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show.